Hey, good morning, everyone. It's Pastor Rob. Great to see you today. I wanted to talk about, to start with, weddings. I'm having the pleasure of doing someone's wedding, uh, a couple here that, that uh, chooses to do much of their church life here with us at Gretna. I'm able to, to be, to play a small role in their marriage, their wedding coming up here in a couple of months. And we're going through some premarital counseling and some other things. Uh, I don't, they're an, they're an older couple, both of which are, have, have, were married for significant periods of time before and lost both of their spouses and choosing to walk out this final time of their life together, which I think is a beautiful thing. Uh, but given how long each of them were married, sometimes I think to myself, should I really be, should I really be counseling them or should they be telling me <laughs> what marriage looks like or what marriage requires? But being a part of a wedding or, or a marriage ceremony or and building up to that, man, that's that's one of the greatest pleasures I have in, in doing what I do and being a pastor is that I'm able to be there as two people say, really in that context, two of the most important words they're gonna say in their lives, and that's I do, right? As they as they make that commitment to one another. That marriage relationship is was intended by God to be unique. And the truth is, I, I didn't understand it all when I got married, and I doubt you did too, or either. But, and I'm learning more and more every day. I, I've only got 23 years in. <laughs> so learning more and more every day that goes on. And by the way, to my parents real quick, happy 50th. You've put up with me and my little brother this long. Good, good on you. Good job. But it is unique. It's that relationship, that marriage is intended to be this relationship where two become one and are intended to be together in an ongoing partnership kind of forever, right? That they are, are not torn apart, that they never split apart. And I think God created that, that relationship to try to give us just a little bit of insight into what our relationship with him is intended to look like. Because like a marriage that is this very unique, there's only one relationship like it in all the world that we're going to have. Well, there's only one relationship with one single solitary, the only God that we're able to have. There's a, a specialness to it, a uniqueness to it. And it requires that we see that relationship as we see a marriage relationship very differently than we see any other. Marriages require two people that are both fully committed, who are willing to uh, bend their wills and blend their wills and even throw their wills out the window if that's what's required in order for the marriage to succeed. It requires investment, it requires commitment, it requires purpose. And when it's done well, is 100% worth it. On the flip side of weddings, uh, I've seen a number of marriages, unfortunately, fail over the years. And when they fail, it's almost always because one or both of the partners did not recognize just how unique that relationship is. And they did not embrace the requirements of it fully. They weren't both all in. One of them treats it as unimportant or less than valuable. One of them isn't willing to bend their will. 
and one or one just just wants to do what they want to do and as as long as the other is convenient they stick with it and that's not the way a marriage is supposed to be and it certainly isn't the way our relationship with god is supposed to be see the truth is our relationship with god can fall apart if both parties aren't all in it can be nowhere near what it's supposed to be and just be kind of this limping get through life kind of relationship if both parties aren't all in and usually unlike a marriage where you could probably look around and you could find fault on both in both parties and say yep this person went wrong this way and then their reaction was not what it should have been and you end up with hurt feelings and and broken fences and and people that just are not able to see eye to eye once more and no longer willing to be all in our relationship with god though our relationship with god he as our partner in that relationship that unique relationship he is all in he sent his son to die sacrificed all of who he was to prove he was all in he never leaves us he never forsakes us he puts up with us when we do stupid things because he is all in so when that relationship falls apart between us and God, oftentimes it's not because he isn't all in. Oftentimes it's because we are not. And so that relationship struggles. That relationship sometimes breaks. And, and, and ultimately, even if it stays together, if we aren't all in, that relationship never becomes everything it was intended to be. We are in the in the midst of a series called, Are We Willing? Are we willing to let God's reign, God's will reign over ours? Are we willing to let God's will reign over ours? That is to say, in this relationship where God has demonstrated he is willing to do whatever it takes to watch over us, we have to ask, are we willing to do whatever it takes to serve him and that's again i don't want to make that sound like that's an easy thing that's a tall order but the truth is if both parties in a relationship aren't willing to do their part the relationship will continue to struggle i know he's doing it his our job is to figure out how to do ours and at the core of that the topic, the subject, the, the theme of this series is, are we willing? At the core of that is us being willing to give up our own will for the sake of doing God's will, right? And as we, we get into the next several weeks, we're going to talk about a lot of what that looks like. So what, what does being willing to give up our will look like? Well, there's a number of places in scripture you can find it. The first is, is uh, that it comes to mind for me is Micah 6.8, right? Where uh, the prophet goes to the Lord and says, what, what do I need to do to serve you, right? And God says, look, I'm just asking you to do justice and love mercy and walk humbly with your God, right? He's saying on behalf of the people of Israel, that's all I want from you. That's all I've ever asked from you, right? Do justice, love mercy, Walk humbly with your God. But I, I also see, if I go to John 17, I see that 
Jesus prays in verses 24 through 26, prays for us what is what being willing means, being willing to be with him because that's what God desires. He desires us to be with him, to go to him in our times of need, to, to want to be in his presence. I also think being willing to give our will over to God's, being willing to follow him and let him reign in our lives means being willing to find our joy in the things that bring him joy. I can find that in Psalm 16, verse 11. It's about finding joy in the things that he finds joyful. And the, and the truth is, I think that's where the rub is sometimes in our relationship with God is, is we try to find joy in our own places, in our own ways. And at the end of the day, those are all fake substitutes for the joy that comes through pursuing him and pursuing the things he calls us to. What else does being willing look like? Well, Jeremiah 29.13 says to pursue him wholeheartedly. It's to pursue him wholeheartedly. Jesus tells his disciples in Matthew 5 in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. That means thirst for the things of God, for they will be filled. He says, look, if, if you want to know what willingness looks like, it means chasing me, pursuing the things that I find valuable instead of the things that maybe if I weren't involved in your life, you would find valuable. It means being willing to live out the call that he has on our lives. Now, this week we're going to start with, well, the two greatest calls According to, to Jesus, the greatest commandments is what we often call them, or the greatest commands. And we find them in two places. They're in, in the book of Matthew chapter 22. They're also in the book of Mark, which is the text we're going to use today. Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 34. As we enter the text, Jesus is speaking with the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the scribes. And, and these Folks, I don't want us to lose sight of this. These folks are the people of God. They are the representation of the people of God here on this earth. And so when Jesus is speaking to them, there are definitely lessons in it for us to consider. Because if we are claiming to be followers of Christ and claiming to be his people, then ought we not hear the words that he intends for people who claim to be his people. So as we jump in, this is Mark 12, verses 28 through 34. It says this, I'm going to read out of the Christian Standard Bible. It says, one of the scribes approached, and when he heard them debating and saw that Jesus answered them, that would be answering the Pharisees and the Sadducees, answered them well, he asked him, which command is the most important of all? Actually, technically there it says, which command is the first Right? Which one is the, mo- is the foremost? Which is the most important? And Jesus answered, this is verse 29, and Jesus answered, the most important is, listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is, love your neighbor as you love yourself. There are no other command, there is no other command greater than these. And then the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have correctly said that he is one and that there is no one else except him. 
and to love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is far more important than all the burnt offerings and the sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you, scribe, are not far off from the kingdom of God. And no one dared to question him any longer. And the scribe comes to him. He starts with, listen, O Israel, listen, the Lord your God is one. This is taken from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. We're going to read them in just a second. But it's, it's known as the Shema, is this, this prayer. It's one of only two prayers specifically commanded in Torah, in the first five books, the law of, of God, the law of the Bible first five books. The other, by the way, is grace after meals. Isn't it interesting that we say grace before meals, but what was commanded in the law was grace after meals. So these are one of only two prayers that God specifically says, you will pray for these things. These are the prayers that you will utter in my name that matter to me. And so they are affirmations. They are affirmations of God's oneness as his as creator, as giver of life, and as worthy of worship. There is nothing else in the world or anyone else, king, pursuit, false god, whatever it is, there's nothing else in this world that is worthy of worship, that is worthy of pursuit. And so if we read it real quick, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9, it says, Listen, Israel, there's that word again, there's that phrase. Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These words that I'm giving you today are to be in your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your city gates. These words, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength, he says in Deuteronomy, are to be repeated to our children. There are a number of things that I feel like if I've raised my kids and they don't know this, I feel like I have failed. If I haven't taught them to put a worm on a fishing hook, I feel like I've dropped the ball somewhere. If I, if I feel like if I haven't taught them to have an appreciation for the princess bride, I feel like I've dropped, I'm kidding. Although that would bother me just a little bit, right? If I feel like if I haven't introduced them to the music that I love, I feel like I haven't been a good father to them, if I haven't taught them what it means to do good by others, to love one another, to treat people equally and fairly, I feel like I've dropped the ball as a father. But the Torah, from the very beginning, one of the prayers, two prayers in the scriptures that's always required and expected from the people of God, says this, this you better be sure your kids know that you've taught them what it means to follow me, that you've taught them that the Lord is one and that he is the one thing worth worshiping, the one thing worth pursuing, the one thing worth investing in. This unique relationship that we talked about earlier is worth it. How important are these words to you and to your children that he would say, don't forget these things, right? 
He says to talk about them. Talk about them in your house. That's with your family and your friends. Talk about them when you're out on the road. That's when you're, you're working, when you're out working in the job or traveling back and forth or traveling somewhere. When you're out outside of your home in your work life or your school life or your social life, right? Make sure these things are discussed. Make it part of your conversations with, in this case, one another is what he's trying to encourage them to do. Make this a part of who you are daily, not just in a moment or not just a couple times a day for an hour or for 15 minutes or whatever it is we, we kind of allot sometimes to, oh, I got to get through my scriptures today. He's asking you to make it part of our lives. He says, it's not a part, it is the center of the lives upon which everything else revolves. Everything else rotates around this as the center. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your strength, right? Or with all your soul, with all of your strength. Jesus adds, adds one more in his version. And we'll get to that in a second. It says, bind them as a sign on your hand, he says in Deuteronomy, as a symbol on your forehead. This is a reminder of who you serve. I have a, a t-shirt that somebody got me not too long ago, and it says, pastor on the back in real big letters. And it says, pastor, because something about a, a, a devil stomping ninja wasn't an accurate job description. There's more to it. It's a lot more. Um, but but, but she, that that shirt that that when it says that on the back, I have to tell you it gives me pause when I wear it in public. I wear it in public because, without a doubt, everyone knows what I do. <laughs> right? Everyone knows that some crazy church somewhere has given me an opportunity to hold that title, that job title, in their lives, to speak into their lives, to do things like this, and to conduct weddings and. Yes, to be there for funerals, to hold hands and pray with people in their deepest and darkest times. They've trusted me with themselves and their children to lead them towards the things of God. And that, that weighs on me. And when I wear that shirt, it reminds me, honestly, that I need to be careful to represent God well. I'd like to think I do it all the time anyways, but what he's telling the people of God here is bind them on your hands. It's a wrap around your hand to not forget whose you are. Mark it as a symbol on your forehead so that when everybody sees you, they see a child of God. It's the same reason he says, write them on your houses and on your city gates. This is to pronounce, announce to the whole world, I am one of God's children. Essentially, what he's saying here in the Shema and what Jesus is saying in these greatest commands in loving the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength is that this, this is where we are to find our identity, the sum total of who we are. We are not to find it in our sexuality. We are not to find it in our job, in our looks, our social status, our wealth, or our power. None of those other things that we kind of mark success by. This is who we are. This is what I'm about. And I, I speak to you as somebody who has made that mistake, who has felt like their job was their identity. That can really easily happen to me in this setting, right? 
The idea that because I'm a pastor, that's who I am. No, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a child of God who gets to be my role right now in this season is to be a pastor. But first and foremost, my identity is found in being a child of God. When my, my oldest child, Rachel, was growing up, um, it felt like for a long time my identity was, was in her, was in my children, right? It was, I was Rachel's dad. Rachel's dad and Heather was Rachel's mom. We, we didn't have names anymore. We were, we were Rachel's dad and Rachel's mom, Josh's dad and Josh's mom, Christopher's dad and Christopher's mom. And to an extent, that's the way people refer to us, true. But at the end of the day, that is not who we are. We don't find our identity in their successes or their failures. We don't find it in their achievements or their lack thereof. We find our identity in God and in God alone. That's the call here. That's what this is all about. That's what the Shema is about. That's what following the greatest commands is all about. It's about finding our identity in one place, in one place alone, and not in all those other things we like to find it in. Because the truth is, those things come from our will, our desire to be concerned with human things, where God is concerned with heavenly things. It's our will to look good in front of others, to be desired by others and wanted by others, to be successful in the, uh, in the eyes of others, to have, sometimes if power is one of our things, it's to be in control over others. At the end, but at the end of the day, none of those things matter. Because why? Because they are all temporary. Every last stinking one of them is temporary. The only thing that matters and the only thing that's eternal is God's will and the identity that he gives us. So when Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength, what does that look like? Well, the first is when he says, love the Lord with all of your heart, that's a statement about what you're committed to. Are you committed to the things of God or are you committed to yourselves? And, and that's one of the things that I, I sometimes struggle with. I heard somebody describe it the other day. Um, they were talking about three things that we can use to help identify how committed we are. What we do with these three things determines and can show us where our heart really lies. He said time, talent, and treasure. Those three things, what we do with those three blessings, those three gifts, those three things can really tell us a lot about where our commitment lies, where our heart lies, whether or not our commitment is to pursuing our own will or to pursuing God's will. Time is is what do we what do we is one probably our most valuable of those assets. It's limited, and and yeah, the older I get, the more I look at it and go, I, I have far more far fewer days behind in front of me than I do behind me. See, I'm even having trouble saying it. Because I don't want to say it, but that's the truth, right? There are fewer days ahead than there are behind me. Time is something you cannot ever get back. And just like in a marriage relationship, if I were to only invest a little bit of time in helping it grow, chances are it's not going to, right? It might be enough to keep it barely alive for a period of time. And I think sometimes that's what we do in our relationship with God. 
with our time. We minimize the amount of time we spend to him with him to, okay, I managed to make it to a church service, either in person or online, doesn't matter. I managed to make it to a church service this week. I spent, I gave him my hour. Or I got up this morning and I read five verses of scripture or a chapter of scripture. I gave him, I gave him my 15 minutes. Is that really indicative of someone whose heart is committed to God? Or is that indicative of someone who's trying to placate him to get the boxes checked to stay in good standing? If we treat our spouse that way in a marriage, how's that work out? The answer is it doesn't. It often blows up in our faces. Shouldn't be of any wonder to us that it does the same thing in our relationship with God. He's not a box to be checked. He is something and someone to be invested in as he invests in us. With our, our treasure or our talent, I have a, a group we're studying with, we're studying right now, we're studying spiritual gifting, what spiritual gifting is and what it's not. And, and one of the, the verses we've come across as we're going through the book of Corinthians right now, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians 12 verse 7 describes what gifts, in this case, gifts of Holy Spirit of the Holy Spirit are, what the Spirit gives people gifts or talents, abilities to do. And we're, I'm not going to get in the weeds about what kind of abilities, and that's not what we're at. What I'm simply saying is this. He says in verse 7, a manifestation of the Spirit, that means a gift, a gift of Holy Spirit is given to each person for the common good. The two things we should take from that. One, each of us has a talent or a gift to give, to be used in service of the Lord, all of us. And, and that should be encouraging to us because sometimes I think many of us think like, well, I'm not, I'm not preaching, so I, I must not have anything I can offer God or the kingdom of God or God's mission. Or they, or they think, I don't know how to sing, so I, I can't do anything there, and I, I don't have a lot of money, and I don't have a lot of this, and I don't have a lot of that. doesn't matter. God's pretty clear that he has prepared you, that he has gifted you, that he has given you the talents you need to do something in his name, to bring glory to him and to walk in his will. Sometimes it's just we don't believe that. But the use of that talent... It's very direct and very purposeful. It has a use, and that use is for the common good, for the good of others. Not for my own benefit. If, I, if I'm a good speaker, speaking before others in, in, in a way that gains me fame or gets me a ton of money is pretty selfish if I'm not using it to help the mission of God. I'm putting my talents in places that are all about being committed to me and my goals and my will and not about being committed to God's. The second one, the third one is treasure, right? Yes, even our possessions and our money, that thing that we don't like to ever talk about in church because we don't want to feel greedy and make it sound like we're just doing a money grab. And by the way, we're not. Because those two are blessings from God. And where we put those things is indicative of where our heart is. Let's not get too far off track, right? This is about all your heart. Where, do you, where is your heart? Well, it, 
Where we put our time, treasure, and talent is indicative of where our heart is. But with our treasures, those things that we feel like we got to have the better version of, or more of, or a newer car, even though mine is currently running just fine, or a bigger house, even though, you know, we fit in this one just fine. Or that thing that we feel like we have to hold on to, we have to buy and we have to have, like it's going to fulfill all of our hopes and needs and dreams. Probably not. In fact, definitely not. It's interesting how we can pine for something so much and then once we get it, that new car or that, in my case, a new guitar, if I'm not careful, <laughs> that I can want so badly. And then once I get it, I'm kind of like, huh, well, that was, that's nice. And I got to get another fix. Well, that's because it was never meant to fulfill me. My commitment is to be to the things of God and not to myself. And I found that when I'm able to get past my own will and get into his, that's when I find that out. That's when I recognize what's really worth investing and being committed to. Can you imagine if every Christian, if we're going to stick to the money discussion for just a second, I had a friend stop me and ask me the other day, can you imagine if every Christian, just let's just start small. Let's just start here in our county, scenic Logan County, Ohio, high elevation Logan County, Ohio. Do you hear the sarcasm? It's there. <laughs> if all of us tithed at the 90 some churches that are here in Logan County, if all of us just gave 10% of our income off the top to the work of God, to the kingdom of God. I'm not saying to your church building, to the body of believers that you worship with. There are financial realities to keeping the lights on the building open and yes, paying me to be here because I have to feed my family too, right? But if we just gave 10% to the causes of the kingdom of God, you imagine how few people would be in need? Now extrapolate that across the globe. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine the things that could be repaired, the disasters that could be averted, the, the families that could be healed, the babies that could be saved? Can you imagine the change that it could create for the good? But not doing that says definitely says something about where our heart is. It, it says if we're going to spend the money on ourselves rather than these things, then is our heart really with God's commitment or God's will or is it with our own? The next thing Jesus asks for is your soul. These are your desires, your yearnings. Are they for his glory or for your own? Are you seeking ways to shine a light on him in all that you do? Is that what you want the most? Is that what you desire for the most? Is it really important to you that everybody you see and know and touch comes to see the greatness of your God? I think sometimes we call the people that act that way crazy, right? We talk about the crazy people down the road that always talk about Jesus. While I understand the desire to lean into that, 
come on. In some ways, I absolutely admire it. I absolutely admire someone's willing to say, you know what, it's important to God. His heart yearns for you to know him. Shouldn't my heart yearn for you to know him too? It's one of the things that allows us to be courageous, that takes us past this fear of being judged. Because if I believe that the most important thing I can tell you is that Jesus loves you and wants to know you and wants to save you, and that you can come to know him and find that salvation, that word that we don't like to say, salvation, because it scares people. If we can find the courage to say that, then oftentimes our souls begin to line up with God's will rather than being bound up by our own. He then talks about your mind, your thoughts, your focus on knowing him and not just knowing of him. In this conversation that we just read out of Mark where Jesus is having a conversation with this scribe who walks up to him and says, hey, so tell me about the law. The scribes were the people who documented the law, who managed the law, who were often charged with interpreting the law and saying, this is what God's law says, and this is what you are and are not allowed to do. They're experts. They know what God's law says. And yet the scribe walks up after hearing the way Jesus had handled all of the other people that were asking him questions and thinking, he's doing a good job with this. He's handling this well. He says to him, so tell me, what's, what's the greatest command? What's the most important thing? And Jesus says, look, it's not just the letter of the law that matters the most. It's not the what we're doing, but the why. It's not what the letter says, what the law says to do, but why we're doing it that matters. And we're doing it out of listening, O Israel. Love the Lord, your, the Lord your God is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your whole soul, all of your heart, all of your mind, and all of your strength and to love your neighbor as yourselves. He reframes the entire discussion. And I think sometimes when it comes to this issue of knowing the Lord with our mind, I think sometimes we are just pretty comfortable knowing of God, knowing that he has written down expectations for me, that he has desires for me, but truly living into them, choosing to say, I want to understand why he wants me to do these things and to actually choose to say, I will do them. And that's the fourth thing. The fourth thing is strength. He says, I want you to do this with all of your strength, all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. This persistence of actually putting in effort to do as he wills. He tells them to write it on their doorposts and their gates. He tells them to take action to do something with to yes to say this out loud you i am a child of god i am one of his but to actually do something active with it and not just think about it not just understand what it is but to live into the why live into the how live into being his people physically making a difference Theologian John Wesley said, do all things you can by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, and to all the people you can, as long as you can. Which really frames for us 
that second of the two greatest commandments, right? First was about loving the Lord with all of who we are and doing something with it actively because at the end of the day, we all know that just saying you love somebody is not the same as actually loving them. There's an action component that's required. And in the case of serving God, he loves us more than we could possibly imagine and has given more for us than we could possibly imagine. So shouldn't we, if we love him even this much compared with how much he loves us, shouldn't we be trying to do some of the same? But that frames the second love, the second commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. He says, look, I want you to love all of who I am and do something with it. And you know what? One of the things you can do with it is love your neighbor. Sacrifice for them as I have for you. Sacrifice your pride. Eat your pride and say, I'm sorry. Be forgiving. If your neighbor has wronged you, forgive him. Not once, not twice, not seven times, but seven times, 70 times. Jesus says that, and the, and the moral of that story is there's no reason to hold a grudge ever, ever. Holding grudges is not in the kingdom of God. It's not in the will of God. And we better be happy about that because he doesn't hold a grudge against us when we mess up. It's about being willing to sacrifice for their betterment so they can have what they need. Back to that tithing thing. If we actually released just that portion of our income instead of holding on to it like it's somehow going to change our lives completely and totally, right? Going to make everything all better. If we could just use it to provide for others, right? sacrificially give till it hurts a little bit you might be amazed at the difference it would make for them and the shining of god's light upon them it might have they might see they might notice and they might actually come to know him loving your neighbor as you love yourself means desiring for them what he has desired for you and that's finding jesus finding salvation in him if we love them as much as we love ourselves, shouldn't we be excited at an opportunity to help them come to know Jesus Christ, to be saved, to have all of their sins washed away just as all of our sins have been washed away, to have them know the love of God just as we know the love of God, to have them find redemption just as we find redemption, desiring to have them, for them, what he has already done for you and for me is to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. Loving your neighbor as you love yourself get, means getting to know him because God knows you. Get to know your neighbor because the truth is we are blessed to, know, to have a God that knows us that knows every hair in our head, that knows what we think, what we feel, understands why, can see the problems coming before they get there. He knows what motivates us. He knows what gives us strength. He knows what weakens us. He knows us better than we know ourselves. 
And because of that, he is able to impact us. If we are let willing, willing to let him do that, he can make a difference in our lives that we could never make for ourselves. It's interesting. I have a number of relationships in my life that are, are like that, where Heather, for one, prime example, my wife, often knows me better than I know myself. She can often tell what, when something's going to upset me before I've realized it's upsetting me. She can see it coming a mile away. And, she, and that connectivity I have with her in marriage, right? That's a blessing to me to have somebody in my life who knows me well enough that they can see a problem before it comes and who I will listen to because I know they care. If we're going to love our neighbor as we love ourselves, should we not be willing to be that for them? Should we, should we not be willing to know them for who they are so that we can shine the light that God would have a shine, that we can speak into the lies and have them hear? Because the truth is, as the old adage goes, no one cares what you know until they know how much you care. And finally, to love our neighbor is to love ourselves, is to persist for them because God has persisted for you. God has used all of his strength to have you come to know him. And he has asked us to do the same in return, to give all of our strength to his goals, his purposes, and his kingdoms. And if I'm being very frank, that's really hard. I struggle with that. I struggle with giving all of who I am to God. But I will also tell you, that every time I or anybody else I've ever met has found the capacity to let go of their own will and give it to God's, that he has blessed them more than they could ever possibly imagine. Why? Because he loves you and he loves me more than we could ever possibly imagine. I hope you'll continue to join us on this series as we ask ourselves to kill some sacred cows, <laughs> to get rid of some things that keep us from truly knowing who our God is and to walking in his will. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you. May he grant you favor and be gracious to you and give you peace. God bless. <laughs>